Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Chris Hill. With me is Kyle West, as always. So, Kyle, how have you been doing today? Really well. A constructive day of house chores and housework. So, the sun was out, so I got loads of washing in the machine, so I could actually hang it out to dry rather than shrink it in the dryer. I don't know how many loads of dishes I've done today with the dishwasher. <laughs> Pulling up weeds in the garden. Okay. Still had time to teach online and watch these other voyages again. That's good. Me, I had work this morning. Um, I probably got up about the same time you did because I had the, the opening shift and that usually starts between four and, and five in the morning. But I was able to watch These Are the Voyages twice. I did it once at work just to kind of refresh myself on it. Then uh, went back to listening to podcasts like like I've been doing and then came home, took a quick nap, made sure everything was ready to go for today and actually just finished up before we got on. Joining us today is uh, Amy Nelson, former host of Earl Grey. Amy, how are you doing today? Hi, thank you so much for inviting me on. I feel very honored. Am I your first guest? You are. Oh, even better. This is awesome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to uh, be on and listening to your show. I recently did an Enterprise rewatch, so I should be able to follow along with all of your deep dives. We are going to be talking about the quote-unquote series finale of Enterprise, these are the voyages. Big air quotes <laughs> Yes, <for> finale. <laughs> Kyle, do you want to go ahead and give us a uh, quick summary of the episode? Basic episode summary is this is six years after the last episode of Enterprise. Uh, we're seeing events from the perspective of Will Riker on the Enterprise D uh, holodeck of the Enterprise's final mission. Um, Captain Archer is once again obsessing over a, well, it's a speech this time, Whereas there was an episode in season two where he was obsessing over um, the forward, the for- forward of a book, uh, but now he's obsessing over speech, and the crew are getting ready to go their separate ways until uh, Shran uh, shows up. Turns out he's not dead. They thought he was dead for three years. Never really explained what apparently that was, but uh, we found out he was dead. He's got a family. He needs Captain Archer's help for one last mission in the three days before Archer's due to make his big speech at the. Uh, the founding of the Federation, uh, essentially. So they go on the mission, goes very well. We get teased with the death of Trip, but doesn't happen because Archer stops him from falling through that hole in the bridge. We all think everything's okay. We get back on the ship, more of the planning to go their separate ways and such till the naughty, naughty aliens somehow caught up with Enterprise, got on board. Well, they got screwed by Shran, so they want Shran and his daughter back. Trip basically walks him into a, a little, I don't know, a cupboard, whatever you want to call it, on the ship. Sacrifices his own life to blow them up. He dies from that. 
And very quickly, Archer goes and makes a speech. Somewhere through all of this, Will Riker was getting inspiration for how he was going to deal with his own issue on the Enterprise D with the Pegasus ship, which is, I think, season seven, Amy? Yes. It's one of the sort of late episodes as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's 7.15, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so this is tied into that episode. I guess if you wanted to try and mix them together, you'd notice that Riker and Diana's appearance is changing a little bit in between scenes. But that's the basic rundown of it. And then it ends with um, Archer about to make his speech. And Riker has decided he's seen enough to go and tell Captain Picard everything that happened on the Pegasus and with the cloaking device. And that's about it. So, Amy, you said you just recently finished a rewatch of Enterprise. So what's your uh, immediate reaction to These Are the Voyages? All right. Well, I'm going to go back to 2005 when it first aired because I remember being very excited for Enterprise. Well, I guess that would have been 2002, 2001. 2001. 2001. Yeah. Very excited. And I watched the first season and that was when I was just started teaching. And so I was very, very busy starting my career. I tried to record them on my VHS. So I sort of missed and especially getting into season three I remember going what in the heck is this Zindi I just can't watch it anymore so I sort of dropped off in season three and season four I just it wasn't on my radar anymore but they promoted the crap out of this last episode and they promoted it with Will Riker and Deanna Troy and Troy is my favorite if anyone knows me so I was so excited I just like I can't wait. I made sure it was appointment TV. I watched it first air. Absolutely loved it. My TNG heart was so happy to see the Enterprise D. They did such a good job Mm -hmm. having it come through and seeing my Deanna Troy and Will Riker. And then it was, okay, there's Archer and the other people in there. But (laughs) I really watched it. I mean, They made that episode for fans like me. Brandon Braga has says this is a love letter to TNG. So I was all in and I loved it. Coming back now to 2020. Well, I did my rewatch 2016, 2017. And then I was like, oh yeah, this is not good for our crew of the NX01. How sad that this is their last episode. Um, So I do have mixed feelings about it because I love TNG so, so much that I love the story for it and I appreciate what they were doing, but I can see how maligned it was for Archer and the crew to be their season series finale. I still love it because it's, in my mind, a TNG episode, which, again, shortchanges our dear Enterprise crew. Kyle, what was uh, your reaction when you first watched it and in subsequent ones? Listening to Amy then, I thought it was quite interesting uh, the way she said her perspective has changed on the episode now, having done the Enterprise from start to finish. Because I think Marina Sirtis has gone through a very similar process as well. I remember reading not long before her Picard appearance, she was talking about her last time on Trek, which would have been uh, that episode. And she was saying how at the time she was so excited to go on and get to work with the crew again and with Jonathan Frakes. But now in hindsight, she realizes that it was probably a little bit not disrespectful of her being there, but disrespectful of the whole production towards the Enterprise cast and crew. So, um, yeah, you seem to have had the same journey. Yeah, I've heard her say that and respect her for saying that, too. Absolutely. Yeah. In regards to my opinion on uh, (laughs) I don't have the same um, love affair with 
uh, next gen as, as Amy does. I've obviously watched next gen my whole life, but as we've already discussed on this show, enterprise was my Trek. I think it's quite odd for someone to have been like, I was watching Trek for 10 years before it, but enterprise was the one I latched onto as my Trek. And quite often it's the first one you watch, isn't it? That, that's your show, but everything about enterprise um, just pulled me in. The last episode is a painful viewing experience for me. It was at the time because I was in the UK. It had been out for a number of weeks in the US before. Mm-hmm before it got to me so I was aware of pretty much this is back when I wanted to have spoilers changed changed my approach since <laughs> I knew what was going to happen and I was not prepared for the worst though I tried to always stay positive about everything but for me with these are the voyages uh, nine times out of ten when I watch it as part of a full rewatch of the show it leaves me angry and I don't normally get affected like that by tv but it leaves me angry and I guess we're coming to all the reasons as to why there have been occasions when I've watched it very few where I haven't had such an emotional reaction to it. I don't know what was different about my circumstances watching it, but it doesn't uh, it doesn't quite infuriate me in the same way. I watched it recently as well, Amy. I've just done a full rewatch, uh, introduced my partner to Star Trek through Discovery and Picard, which she loves. And I finally got onto Enterprise. She loves that as well. So she's a Trekkie now, she says. So we've just three weeks ago done ended a full watch. And so I rewatched it again anyway, the um, finale today. And I thought when you watch it on its own, in its own little bubble away from the from Enterprise. It's not quite as hard to stomach. It's it's an episode of Star Trek. But I think if you then remind yourself it's the last episode of one of the Star Trek shows, again, the rage comes back and the anger. And you're like, oh no, why? Why did I even remember that? I, what I will say, because I'm going to try to be negative, I'm going to say something. I'm going to have some different opinions to Amy and stuff on this and probably you, Chris. But some scenes in this episode are actually my favorite in all of Enterprise. I think it's probably why I have such an emotional reaction to the stuff I don't like in it, because there's some right. things in it which I always think of some of my, of my favorite moments and um, we'll come on to favorite moments but overall I do think it's it's an underwhelming finale thankfully it leaves enough room for your imagination to pretend that some things didn't actually happen yes <laughs> or to uh, just just to think yeah it was a little different but it's an, it's an okay hour I think it was made with good intentions as a whole watching it this time I actually watched the first half of Pegasus then jumped into these are the voyages and then finished the episode you know sort of how it was intended and mm-hmm. that was actually the first time that I have done that because I've seen Pegasus a million times and I've seen these are the voyages a hundred times so to watch it in that order again just reiterated how much of a TNG episode this is Mm. and I'm so sorry but I loved it (laughs) but I'm sorry that's quite understandable for me, when, when I first watched it, I didn't actually watch Enterprise while it was on. I started it probably late 2008, early 2009, right when they were doing the build-up for the uh, 09 Kelvin movie. And when These Are the Voyages came on, I watched it and I was like, at first I was like, wait a minute, is this supposed to be next gen or is this supposed to be Enterprise? Because the DirecTV menu says Enterprise and I watched it. I enjoyed bits of it. I was a little underwhelmed that that's how they decided to quote-unquote end the series. And at that point, it was going to be the the last new Star Trek thing produced up until the 2009 movie. Subsequently, as the years have gone on, I've grown a little bit of an appreciation for what Braga and Berman were trying to do, being like, hey, we're wrapping up 12 years of con- constant production. This is going to be our, our, you know, swan song to the fans. And at that point, I when I had first watched These Are the Voyages, I'd only seen like a couple of episodes of Next Gen here and there. I hadn't seen the whole series all the way through, but after watching it all the way through, I, I like, like Amy, I do do see and understand what they were trying to do, but then also feeling bad because, you know, Archer and, and their crew didn't get a 
proper send-off as most of the other casts do. This time around, with watching it here today, twice actually, like Kyle was saying, you know, outside of doing a rewatch of Enterprise, it is it is a pretty decent episode of Star Trek. It's just, they, they were trying to, to mix too much together. Some parts are like oil and water mixing, where it doesn't quite go together like it should. Next, we're moving on to what we think happened during those missing six years that we learned about when we first get introduced to, to the crew talking. Kyle, why don't you go ahead and say what you thought about this part? Well, first things, apart from, like, I think uh, one or two lines in the first scene, like, my partner didn't realize when we were just watching it that this was taken place six years later because them saying after 10 years together blah 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 didn't mean anything to her because she's not as obsessed with the chronological details and information as as i am so it took her a while to twig but i guess we know as star trek fans that there is a romulan war that would have taken up about five of those six years or we assume so from what we already know i wouldn't necessarily say that these are the voyages suggested that they were just coming out of a war with the way the characters were yeah it's an odd oversight given that season four of enterprise had been headed towards that Romulan war. It's, it's an odd oversight that there was no mention of it at all. Just even to wrap that up, just a line so that those plots seemed like they went somewhere. We know that T'Pol and Tripp's relationship did not recover from uh, the death of baby Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. We don't really find out anything else. <laughs> Shran has died, allegedly, three years before. Got involved with some unsavory people, so everyone assumed he was dead. But beyond that, we don't ever really find out what's been going on um, in those years. We know that the Coalition of Planets seemingly led to the the federation so that must have been a positive but beyond that yeah we don't really get a whole lot of information which i guess makes uh, makes sense because there wouldn't be any real need to give that information within the context of it's a hollow program for Riker to try and find his inspiration with his real world problems but um it did seem a little bit of a, a missed opportunity just to wrap up some things that clearly weren't going to get wrapped up anymore because of the show's cancellation. Is that all? Have I missed anything? I can say other than talking talking about the, the previous two episodes of Demons and Terra Prime, those actually did kind of wrap up nicely. But with, with These Are the Voyages, we do see the fallout of baby Elizabeth not making it. But in my head canon, it was more of an on-again, off-again, as opposed to just a straight break. It's so weird because Demons, I think, is the... Yeah, Terra Prime and Demons is yeah. the episode order. Uh, Demons... Ended with such a sad ending, but like full of hope though for Trip and to Paul. And then obviously the next right. episode we find out. I guess it's realistic actually that the loss of a the loss of a child would would tear apart and does tear apart a lot of mm-hmm. marriages and stuff. So for two people who had no, no real commitment to each other, it would make sense that would carry on. But I don't know. I guess it would have been nice to know it did work, given what ultimately happens with with Trip later on. It would have been at least nice to know that something happy happened to him because from from the end of season two, yeah, from twenty one fifty three to. 2161 i think trip pretty much had a miserable existence so uh, it would have been nice to know he had a happy uh, happy little period a few bright spots here and there but other than that not really and no one got promoted yeah what is brandon bragger's issue with this like you know even harry kim probably got promoted at the end of seven years on voyager uh, when they went back but uh, nothing for the crew of the enterprise who stopped the zindi attack all these things and then we find out at the end that archer's being earmarked admiral so the only person who's apparently going to get promotion is archer and everyone else going to carry on i think once he got behind that desk he's like okay you guys can all move up a couple (laughs) ranks you know when i heard this six year gap and 10 years overall i was like wait a minute i sort of felt cheated i was like no i want to see these explorations and i want to see these episodes that 
I've missed. It really left me with a cheated feeling. And that's really all I got. I did enjoy and I after listening to you guys, I agree with you that it might have been that on again, off again with Trip and Paul because especially when they were in the shuttle going yeah. down, you know, it's like, well, you know, I was talking to Chef and, you know, I miss us. And we're going our separate ways. And then Trip just so adamantly, there's no way we will be in contact. You know, I got you type of thing. And I just loved that moment between them. So I sort of feel that they've been on again, off again. Yeah, for me with, with with those six years, I mean, I'm glad we've got the books. But yeah, starting with The Good That Men Do, they kind of rewrite a little bit of what had actually transpired there towards the end of the NX-01. Even the books speed through the six years as well. We get we get a couple of books in that time period, and then the Romulan War is put into two. Yes, two books. And then we're post-2161. Now, there's just a period of enterprise, which even now, 15 years later, we still haven't really filled in. But I think it would have just been, spa- apart from the war, it would have been the typical space exploration, wouldn't it? Maybe when Strange Worlds launches, I'll be able to just, in my head, imagine that that's actually the crew of the NX-01. <laughs> weekly weekly fun missions you're right I mean, you do feel cheated that you've missed this mm-hmm. period i guess in truth apart from wanting to show us the signing of the federation charter which we didn't actually even see anyway no. there would there would have been no other reason to move this episode six years ahead right. given we didn't see the signing actually as i'm saying it out loud now for the first time in a decade and a half i don't really understand why why we went forward we didn't even hear the beginning of archer's speech I remember even at the time thinking we were going to get the first part and it would just cut away because we had a great speech in the previous episode from him. Uh, yeah, we didn't see any of that. We're going to move on to, to having the TNG insert of Riker and Troy, their involvement. For me, when, when I watch it still, I'm, I'm still a little shocked to see, to hear Jonathan Frakes' voice coming in and even more surprised to see that it that he's on the holodeck of the Enterprise D. What about you, Kyle? I'm so familiar with the episode that I, I kind of just keep trying to think about my partner's reaction to it a few weeks ago. <laughs> and if she hadn't seen Picard and the one, uh, well, two episodes that Riker appears in, she wouldn't have had a clue who Riker was. Now, yeah. you said you were surprised at you know hearing his his voice and uh, even now. Um, I know this episode wasn't ultimately made really for non Star Trek fans, but a lot of people wouldn't know wouldn't know who he was. But their involvement, I bet when I found out that Riker was going to be in the last episode, I was probably very excited. And now I'm older and more cynical as a human being. I guess that I kind of, even now it's a nice idea for me, seeing them. But I can't quite understand. And Amy, you just said you watched this episode bookended by Pegasus, which I should have done really in hindsight. But I find it interesting that they chose that episode it's the framework for this story. I think Amy's going to have the best perspective on this as a, as a massive TNG fan. But, you know, John from Frakes, Marina Sirtis did not look anything like how they did in Next Gen. Yeah. At this point, we'd already seen them go off on the, the Titan in Nemesis, mm-hmm. and I think two or three years before. Or they could have even based it on the Enterprise E, a story taking place in the time they were there. It just it seemed very peculiar. I guess they wanted to use the Enterprise D. A set because it's meant to be that Valentine to the fans, but it just seemed very peculiar to go back to that episode. And I feel sorry for Marina Sirtis in the outfit and such. I don't know why. Like, it's just, I, I felt sorry for her because she always talks about it as well that she just really was struggling to fit into this uniform thing. And I was like, why didn't they protect Marina Sirtis a little bit more? And, and Riker, you don't realize until you watch an episode at the time how different Jonathan Frakes actually looks as well. Yeah. I just I feel sorry for them. It takes me out a little bit 
it makes me remember it's make-believe because I know that they're so much older than they are in uh, that time where it's being set. It was nice seeing the Enterprise D. Let's not pretend it wasn't. When when they when they pull out and show it, that shot there is actually really beautiful, especially since I think that was the first time they, they actually had it CGI'd because the last time that it was actually on screen would have been Generations and they were still using the, the models at that point. The surprising thing with that as well for me was that I'd forgotten there was so many flybys of it in this episode. Yeah. So when I watched Picard the first time and I was lucky enough to go to the premiere in, um, in London that's a story for another time how I got my tickets for that <laughs> uh, <laughs> but when it opened with that shot of the Enterprise D I was like oh my god this, this is the most beautiful shot we've ever seen of it but I'd forgotten actually there's some of the best shots of the D are in this episode, mm-hmm. uh, I think, as well. They really want to show off. I dare say that the budget, I think, went on those shots in this episode. I think probably another reason I always sometimes get so angered by this by this episode because they also spent all the money on the uh, on the Enterprise D. I like the intention of inserting them in. I guess I don't know if Enterprise needed to have that seal of approval and being tied into the the other shows. I guess that's kind of what they were trying to do. Yeah. Brian Riker talking about the NX01 crew as, as legends. And um, and now you're like, oh, right, see, they, they did know about them because they were talking about them during season seven of, of Next Gen. But I don't know if the show actually needed that um, affirmation from the Trek franchise. You know, we've had it since anyway in the in movies and things. But I don't know. I, I could go on for ages about just questioning everything. I think Amy, I'll, I'll hand over the, the mic to Amy. Amy's going to have loads to say about, about this. And I'm curious to hear it. You know, it was interesting because in your uh, outline, you have Riker and Troy's involvement. And so I thought you meant their involvement together as a couple. And there was that one scene, you know, where he, you know, takes her hand and they sort of go off to the holodeck together. And, you know, he comes to her quarters to, you know, talk about the cloaking device of the Pegasus. And so that got me thinking, well, that doesn't really fit in how friendly they are because Pegasus was one episode after Parallels, which is the Worf and Troy connection. And so sort of in that season seven, Worf and Troy were, you know, trying to work things out. And so to see... Riker and Troy be so friendly that sort of clued me and I was like well that doesn't really fit but then if I look at it in our chronological time like this came out after like you said Nemesis and so the Rikers were married you know and so they're off on the Titan so you sort of have to do some uh, mind gymnastics to make it fit how you want it to (laughs) But I uh, also wanted to say I agree with you on the age of the actors and putting them back into 1997, I believe it was. When I first saw, I remember seeing Riker and Troy and just like, they look terrible. I was heartbroken for them. They should have protected them better. And it's not that they're out of shape. It's just as you age, and you guys will get there eventually. I'm a little older than you. (laughs) But you just get a little thicker. And it's not, you can be the same weight, but your body just takes on a different shape. And so to have them, especially Troy, in her little uniform, I just felt so sorry for her. And like seeing Riker sit down, that's not the slender Riker that we know from TNG. And so I agree with you. They really should have protected them 
a little bit better. I also thought it was interesting that Troy was recommending this program for Riker to use in the hollow deck, even though she's never used it. Yeah. That's in my notes as well. Yeah. You know, how good of counseling strategy is that? Because all the line, she was like, well, have you got to this point? Have you got to this point? So you're thinking that she's run the program. And then she has that one comment. Oh, I've never run the program. And that just threw out everything. It's like, well, then why are you recommending it? Why, why do you know so much about the points? <laughs> so that sort of threw me out of it. So I didn't like that Troy said that. I just say on the on the uniform thing as well, as, as you were talking about it, Amy, I, it occurred to me that I don't think any of them are ever on duty when we see them in this episode. They could have theoretically had them out of their uniforms. They didn't need to be in the rather yeah. skin tight next gen uniform. Exactly. Well, Troy was in her counseling office when Data called and wanted to talk about his thing. But yeah, you're right. Other than that, Riker definitely did not need to be in uniform in These Are the Voyages. Oh, and one other thing. Troy's hair was not good. And I loved her hair in Nemesis and like I loved it in season seven. And then I don't know, this just was the in-between phase and I oh, I felt for her. Yeah, because at, at the time the Pegasus took place, I remember reading, they kind of used more of her natural hair and a little bit of wig, but her hair had changed because this was like about 10, 11 years later that they had to actually make a brand new wig just for that. Mm. And they didn't do quite as good a job as they probably should have. At least they made one, though, on Picard. She had to bring the Nemesis wig uh, with her. As far as my thoughts on Riker and Troy's involvement, framing it around the Pegasus, doing the bookends, it does make a little more sense. But like you know, like like you guys were saying, with Troy not actually running the program, there's quite a few plot holes in there that we can poke at that have been poked at as to, to why they probably should have cho chosen a different episode if they wanted to still stay in season seven. Amy, does it fit with Pegasus? Yes, it does. Right. Um, okay. I did have to do a little stretching of my imagination <laughs> um, as to why he was running this specific program. Um, and I get it when T'Pol... I, T'Pol is really a wonderful character and she, she does a great mm. job and she's the one that makes it all fit. I mean, there's little hints because Riker's trying to figure out, does he break orders from Admiral Pressman and reveal what he knows to Captain Picard? So that's the dilemma, which sometimes it, you sort of have to figure that out. And if you don't really know Pegasus, then I think it gets a little convoluted in These Are the Voyages. So you really do have to know Pegasus. So he's going and it's like, why is he talking to everyone? It is a little messed up, but T'Pol says it succinctly. She's like, I'm learning that following orders was most important, but humans tend to follow their instincts more. Mm. And so when she said that, then it was like, Oh, this is why Riker is having this. And if you do watch Pegasus, it starts out with him. Why Picard chose Riker was because Riker was strong enough to stand up for what he felt was right and didn't follow his captain sometime in his career. And so that's when Picard was like, that's exactly 
I knew I wanted him. I had never met him, but I knew that was the guy for me. And Pressman's like, you want someone who's going to break orders and then blah, blah, blah. So it's set up in Pegasus and then follows along with These Are the Voyages. But again, it's it's hard to catch that, I think, if you don't already know that. Because I get to the end of These Are the Voyages, and then when Riker says, I think I'm ready to talk to uh, Jean-Luc Picard or to the captain, even now I'm like, how did any of this make him come to that decision? I guess the one bit you're talking about to Paul would make sense, mm-hmm. but that was, I think, the first... Was that the first scene we got in the um, in the galley? Yeah. Uh, so he did a lot more after that. And yeah, you're watching, like, how, does, how did any of this link to actually his yeah. dilemma, which again, I guess, raises questions about the placement of the episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was just curious as to how it played with Pegasus. But like you said, there's a little bit of, you have to fill some gaps yourself, yep. which I think is what we have to do with a lot of this episode. <laughs> Let's go ahead and talk about uh, some of our favorite scenes from the episode. Amy, other than all of the moments that Deanna Troy was on screen, what are some of your favorite scenes? I know. I loved her so much. Um, so really the one with T'Pol where she, you know, makes that connection of following orders versus following your instincts, like how amazing that is. And then I also mentioned uh, T'Pol and Tripp's little exchange on the shuttle. Mm-hmm. Um, it I think the secondary characters were really secondary in this episode. (laughs) I mean, poor uh, Hoshi and... Mayweather? Yeah, Mayweather. Man, they don't really have a lot. I did like the interchange between Malcolm and Tripp when they're Mm -hmm. in engineering. I have really always liked Malcolm. Yeah. And so I I like, you know, his their banter and it's like, well, you would follow the captain anywhere and you're not, you know, talking to Trip and stuff. So I like with Malcolm there. As far as as far as Riker and Troy goes, I like them uh when they when Riker's like, Well, you've got an hour before you meet with Barkley, come with me. So I sort of like their socialism there and and how well they know each other it just takes me back to tng and i also liked the last scene where they're standing and going to be watching where the charter is going to be signed and them sort of reminiscing and and we get that a little bit throughout the episode where troy goes on to the nx01 holodeck program and she tries to open the door but it doesn't open automatically (laughs) was so cute you know and they're just like oh yeah I remember walking through this in museum and and just sort of the playbacks of where they are in the time continuity and where the NX01 is and sort of that that distance of time between them I, I did appreciate that like Amy said everything with T'Pol was amazing in this episode the best written scenes I think were probably all the ones with um with T'Pol in them she's probably the only well, maybe Trip, the only one who feels like they've changed a little bit from when we last saw them. Uh, yeah. She seems a bit more beaten down and such by by life than the rest of them. So, and so Jolene really plays it. It's interesting. I think I think uh, Jolene was actually, from what I remember reading, she was the only one who was really sort of vocal about not liking this script when the episode came up. Yeah. So there's sometimes I've watched the episode and thought, is she just performing it that way because she didn't want to be doing it but I think actually there was a, a really professional and very good actor performance coming from her so her scene with Riker 
yeah. uh, which, um, which Amy mentioned was great. The scene with Archer at the end, um, when she says, you look very heroic, that scene and the one where she's with Archer just after Trip died. Those are two of my favorite scenes in all of Enterprise. Yeah. And the Shuttlepod scene with Trip again is great. Just everything she was in in this episode. And that's why I say about like, even though there's things that make me angry in this episode, the T'Pol stuff was brilliant and, and heartfelt. And um, she really, she mastered it. T'Pol is probably the best character in, in all of Enterprise, I think. And she's up there with the best. Mm-hmm. Which I think she's getting the respect now. As Enterprise enjoys this new surge of popularity, I think to Paul's standing is starting to change within the the ladder of this of these all these Star Trek characters. I think to Paul's climbing to the top. I liked the the bit where Archer and Trip are having uh, they're enjoying. I can't remember if they're drinking whiskey or something. Yeah, it was whiskey. Yeah, it's a throwback to one of my favorite scenes of Enterprise as well from The Expanse uh, when they're drinking, going into when they're heading off into the expanse to fight the Zindi. And that's right. Yeah. Trip says, you know, tell me we're not going to be pussyfooting around. And Archer says, well, we'll, whatever it takes. It seemed like a nice throwback, but with a different mood completely. This was about the future and the Federation. And it just reminded you of the friendship between them. All of the scenes in the galley were great. Gave every one of the cast a chance to do stuff. I don't understand why Hoshi's was relegated to her talking about having a, did she have a crush on, on Trip, which didn't seem to make any sense. No, that was terrible. For me, I think they they were wanting to kind of kind of allude to how they were going to have Reed played at the beginning as being more of a, a bisexual or homosexual character. Because if you if you remember the transition, because Chef's talking to Reed and it transitions right into, so did you like him? You're you're expecting Reed to answer, but it's it's Hoshi that winds up answering. And that seemed uh, that just seemed really odd that her only real opportunity in the episode to close off her character. Um, was about a, a crush on Trip when yeah. the whole episode had been talking about Trip and Paul's relationship as well. So it seemed peculiar to me uh, to do that. But I thought I actually thought Jonathan Frakes was fantastic in his all his scenes with the cast. I guess my least favorite part though is I don't understand why Riker gave Paul a kiss on the cheek after he froze the program. Maybe I'm watching it with 2020 vision now. Oh, well, no pun intended there. <laughs> but <laughs> I realized as I said it. But, you know, I guess that's true of what Riker would have been like in Next Gen, I guess. But it's weird to see now, though. She couldn't move. She's just a program. And then Riker's just kissed her on the cheek. It just seems, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't know why. Uh, in a good-natured way. I'm not, like, I'm not looking at it trying to throw accusations. Right. Something about it just felt, felt off. But when I think about what Amy said, where that's probably the one scene where Riker's actually getting what he needs from the program, then maybe it makes a lot more sense. You know, I wonder if, the, if that scene was ever actually placed there originally imagine if that scene had been one of the last of the episode kiss on the cheek would have played a lot better as well i think to to understand the context for it right and uh because that that happens and then later deanna's on on or in the program and mentioning how cute she thinks archer is and Riker just immediately you know kind of pads her back like no no but yet like couple minutes later you were given to pull a, a peck on the cheek so what gives man <laughs> yeah i really enjoyed that because archer is pretty cute but i mean i think you do tend to i guess idolize you know those heroes in the past and you know because they've done so much good and you always hear the good and so to see them in person quote unquote at the holodeck you know i'm sure is a little bit overcoming yeah my favorite scene is when Chef's talking with Trip. With right there, you can tell how much Trip loved Archer as as a brother, and you you knew that if Archer needed someone to tell him, "Hey, back off a little bit," you knew Trip was going to be the one to do it because they they just had that trust together. 
Did you think it was interesting in that scene? Trip says he can count on one hand the people who he can really, really trust. Not and he says like what not to hurt him and trust him with life. I was trying to do the maths and I was like, he says on one hand, so that's five people or less. That's not even the entire main senior crew. <laughs> of the enterprise so someone out of the main someone out of the main uh, other six he doesn't trust with his life and i'm curious i'm like there's an episode there i want to know trip doesn't trust not to hurt him because malcolm he would trust the yep, best friend yeah, there's oh. malcolm archer to pull and i actually think the other two are his parents you know it was interesting because at that same time Riker was like yeah i've got a couple and i was like okay that's picard and <laughs> troy what yeah. about everyone else? I mean, like, he's trusted his life with Worf and Jordy and Data. Like, I was like, okay, Picard, Troy, the, everyone else out in the cold. <laughs> Maybe uh, Riker wouldn't have counted Worf now, because as we found out from this episode, <laughs> Riker was getting a bit too close with Troy still yes. when she was with Worf. So this, we've had that new layer mentioned that you said. All right, let's go ahead and start talking about the fates of all the characters. We'll start off with the top with, with Archer. Kyle, what, what do you think Archer went to do after he gave the speech? And Do you think he accepted the promotion, or do you think he still wanted to be off zooming in a in another starship i have a feeling that he might not have had much choice in my head he either took a promotion to admiral or he went off as an ambassador i could almost see him working on vulcan after the way he started it might it might have been yeah. a good way to tie up his character and say he was going to go and live on vulcan as an ambassador it was only when i watched this and when i put the running order together talking about character fates that i realized uh, on this rewatch that we actually don't find out a whole lot about no any of them, which goes back to, I remember Connor Trenier uh, saying in a, an interview that he, he was happy with the episode because he got an end to his character and you know the end point for him, but you don't for anyone else. Um, I don't think we get definite comments from any of them, but with Archer, I think I'm hoping became an admiral. We know from, uh, I think it was Mike Sussman who wrote in, in A Mirror Darkly, and we know from the HD screen caps of the um, biography of uh, Archer's life that mirror Archer's holding. In there, it says that Archer becomes Federation president mm -hmm. at some point. Mike Sussman says that that stuff was never meant to get seen on camera, but it is on camera now. Mm -hmm. As they say, it's, it's canon until it's not, and there's nothing in Star Trek that is likely ever going to even contradict it. So in my mind, he would have gone to Admiral, he would have eventually gone into like, the political side, and he would have gone on to be Federation president. And what, what was the ultimate fate? They say he, he died the day after the launch of the 1701. Oh. I'm going with that as, as his life. So I'm happy with that. Do you worry that your headcanon or what's happened to these characters is going to get messed up or maybe not so negative, but maybe as a positive, like maybe mentioned in Strange New Worlds? Discovery didn't have much except for when Saru was looking for captains right. and we saw Archer at the top of the list. Does it worry you that those other shows or are you hoping that there will be some callback to Enterprise? I, I am hoping that, that they do more callbacks to Enterprise. For for me, it'd be just something as simple as, you know, Archer did become an admiral and then president of the Federation, something like that. Or, you know, just kind of wrapping up how how everybody wound up finishing up the rest of their lives after, after what we, we had seen on screen. Ever since Short Treks came along, I've been begging for, um, for Enterprise to get uh, some some sort of short treks story so uh, you know every, every year short trek seems to move a little bit away from being tied too closely to the main shows and um, so 
I'm hoping it will expand out and they'll think, oh, this is a great way to do a little story about an Enterprise character or a DS9 without having to spend much money. You could establish Archer was president by just doing uh, one short where he's in his office and there's, you know, there's not much, not much of a, a set uh, needed or, or money spent. So I actually hope to see them. I think Discovery missed a golden opportunity to use T'Pol. Mm-hmm. I just feel like T'Pol, she would still be alive unless, unless she died from uh, non-natural causes. T'Pol would still be alive at this time. So they could still use her on Strange New Worlds. I know everyone will say small world. It's, it's a real small world syndrome if, if Spock meets T'Pol. But given um, what we know Spock went through being in Starfleet, it feels like we should see Spock meet T'Pol right. because I feel like T'Pol could give him some good advice and the Spock that we know who's going to be in Strange New Worlds still seems to be trying to find himself and, and his place and well I guess he's even doing that when Leonard Nimoy is in the role. Yeah. I would love to see her but yes uh, to answer his question I do have this little bit of fear that something would get said or done that would ruin it. Now I'm not I'm not worried about my head canon being like, oh, I thought that might happen. Because I think that's one reason so many people get angry nowadays in their fandoms. Because like with Picard, yeah. some people had their own idea of how things were meant to go and it didn't. But I think as long as it didn't spit in the face of the show, I wouldn't mind. And in my head, I, I kind of guess that if they were to do anything that would so openly um, state something about the Enterprise characters, then I would imagine they're only doing it out of respect. So I find it unlikely that they would do anything that I would end up banging my head against a wall like I was with, with this particular episode. But I do hope we get something i've always wanted them to do something to save the trip situation i guess it's not their it's not their um fight though is it these producers don't need to worry about it but god bless i can't remember her name now the um oh, is it uh kirsten something kirsten Bayer. yes she will be very in touch with the trek fandom she knows exactly what everyone thinks about like the last episode of enterprise because she was the one who pitched the initial idea that led to Picard. So my hope is that she's going to make a suggestion for a short trek that is going to um, fix Enterprise. Because do you know what? The amount of goodwill these producers would get if they could do something that gives a final word on Enterprise that isn't these are the voyages. Right. What else could they do after these are the voyages? Because <laughs> we've hit the bottom here. <laughs> <laughs> we've hit the bottom of, uh, of respect to the show. Uh, so uh, it, we can't go any... Well, I, I assume we can't go any lower than that. But that's a good question, Amy. I don't yeah. really never really considered you know what if it doesn't go the way i want um i'll probably be exact completely different to this i'll be online doing the whole keyboard warrior thing hunting down alex kurtzman for uh to pull um i think what her fate was was she wound up becoming an, an ambassador to earth from vulcan taking over once the vol retired like, like we've said she's probably st- still alive during discovering strange new world so she can make an appearance I really, really like your idea of, of Spock seeking her out, knowing that she was one of the first Vulcans to have really have an extended stay with humans on space missions, and that, you know, help him figure out how to navigate things as well. What do you think the ultimate fate was of T'Pol there, Kyle? Generally don't know, uh, which makes me sad, because as I said, she's such a brilliant character. I wish we had some closure on that. But again, it leaves it open. They could they could still mm-hmm. explore it. I, I think it would have been hard for her to go back and do anything for the Vulcan High Command. Well, the High Command, I think, had been disbanded at this point hadn't it anyway so whatever was in its place i think she would have still been doing work with starfleet i just don't know what just from the way she was in this episode i just don't see that she would have carried on with like space exploration and there's something about her which um is i'm probably looking for things that weren't even there in in the performance but something about her just seems tired of of space exploration and i kind of think she would probably be back based on earth which we know is what she was doing before the show so she has no problem being sort of planet bound yeah i really got that sense at that last scene between her and archer it almost felt like okay i'm done being out in space and yeah i agree with you kyle 
as far as uh, Reed's ultimate fate, me personally, I think he winds up starting off as an adjutant to Archer after he gets promoted and put behind a desk. And I think he, he really starts to, to refine not only, you know, the security courses in Starfleet Academy, but figure out a way to integrate the Makos into Starfleet, since we know that does wind up happening, since there are no Makos on the original series. And then also we know that that's what they did from Star Trek Beyond. What do you think, Amy, for Reed? I agree with you because he says when he was talking to Trip that he's just, you know, going to hitch his wagon to Archer and just follow him. And it's like, yep, that's a good move because he's going places. So I think he still is excited to be in the action and in decision making roles. So I think that's pretty cool. I mean, we all thank him for the red alert, read alert. I can't work out of his character development or poor writing with Reed not knowing what he's going to do because yeah he doesn't know what he's doing after this and they don't know what Archer's doing he said he's going to hitch his like you said hitch himself onto Archer's bandwagon but he doesn't know what Archer's doing now the Reed that we saw in the show really never especially thought of Archer as a strong leader so I don't know if it means that actually by the end Reed had come round to Archer uh, but also Reed was just meticulous with his planning and such so this idea that he ends up being a guy who's kind of like I don't really know what my next job is going to be. I'm just going to go with the flow. Uh, I'm not sure how it, how true to him it is, but I think we know he goes to big things because Troy and Riker specifically talk about him mm-hmm. um, where she says, you know, you think he'd be bigger in, in real life. You always expect someone, I can't remember what she says specifically, but it implies that Reed isn't just another crewman and actually he's well known in the history books. So yeah, he must go on to some kind of bigger, more important role, but um, it would have been nice to find out. As far as what uh mayweather did after this i wouldn't be surprised if he decided to go back to being a boomer because he he never really says exactly what he's gonna do i think that was one of the things that he had he had talked about there at the beginning but if he if he did did stay in starfleet i would i would see him be becoming a, a captain as well getting his own ship he has to get past ensign to, uh, to manage that i think he uh, mentions an offer doesn't he they in the final real scene with him hoshi and reed she asks him if he's considered some captain's offer so we know that there's an offer on the table for him to to go be a helmsman on another ship mm-hmm. i imagine he probably did that if i'm honest I, I can't see where else he would go with it i don't think he would return to boomer life personally i don't think that it's that they wouldn't have him because i think they got past that in the episode horizon but he just seemed to be completely engrossed in the starfleet way of life i don't i just can't imagine he would have gone back to to uh, the boomer and we don't even know what that after a romulan war what did that industry even look like uh, with those cargo runs and such you know it doesn't strike me that it would have been what he would have done personally yeah i agree with kyle and we do get that mention that he has an offer that he's considering and i think going back to boomer life would just be dull and boring especially now what he's seen and experienced on the nx01 and he is still so young and you know, has this future ahead of him. Like he's not ready to slow down at all. So I see him definitely going places and not ending up ensign forever. He's going to move up the ranks. <laughs> I say when, once Archer gets behind that desk, everybody's going up one rank at least. Maybe even skipping a rank or two. As far as Hoshi, what do you think uh, happened with her, Kyle? I don't think we had a single mention in the episode as to what she was going to do, which seems criminal given she's asking other characters what they're going to do. She did mention that, that she'd be going back to brazil oh did she i must have missed it i think that was like right in that first little bit right before Riker freezes the program the first time right sorry i missed that then that actually would be what i would think she would do would be to go back and teach i don't think she's a staffy 
treat her for life, even though she got used to ship travel. We found out in season four, not long before this episode, that she'd been kicked out of Starfleet training back in the day. So I just think she'd go back to teaching. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, she was ripped away. She was sort of excited to do something on Earth. And then, you know, Archer talked her out of it. So... She still has, in my opinion, well, and speaking as a teacher, like you want to continue that education and continue learning. And I think that she still has a passion. And now she has so much more experience behind her that, man, she's going to be writing books and giving lectures and, and teaching the next wave of communication officers and linguistics. So she's got a bright future. I feel like the they established in the previous episode, two episodes, that she'd pretty much created the universal translator mm -hmm. um, right. for them. So I imagine that at this point, six years later, her role as a boots on the ground person out there finding these languages, that part in continuing the development of the Universal Translator was probably over for her. I imagine that technology now was with sitting with some other people back in a lab at Starfleet Command, adding different languages to it and such. So I kind of think she probably wouldn't have any real reason to be out there anymore. Like Amy said, the pull for her going out was these languages that Archer yeah. was promising her. I just don't think she would really be coming across those anymore. I imagine there'd be a lot more sort of just Federation space-based diplomacy missions mm -hmm. and things which she wouldn't have been needed for anymore. Even though we didn't, we don't explicitly know what she's going to do. I think her fate, her, hers is the only fate you can look at and think it's probably pretty clear what she yeah. would do mm -hmm. and it would be in character for her. And if she, for some reason she did decide to stay in Starfleet, I could see her heading up the communications majors for, for Starfleet Academy, writing all the courses that they would need to teach the incoming cadets. Much like with the series, Hoshi didn't really get a whole lot to do in this episode. There still could have been a little bit more they could have done, but they just didn't use her, which is one of the, the tragedies of the series because there was couple good stories that could have been told through her perspective mm. now the last last one of our our major characters that we're not going to spend an entire topic on flocks what do you what do you think he wound up doing kyle well i don't think we find out anything with flocks do we i don't think he's involved in the conversation about <laughs> about anyone's futures i imagine he probably just went kind of back to what he was doing planet-based practicing medicine maybe he was on earth maybe he's on a different planet if i wanted to this idea that they all go on to glorious futures i imagine that uh, he could be considered quite important in within medicine for the federation as it's starting helping other planets improve their own medical care and things i could see that happening uh, based on his experience. I think Flox just floats. This part of his life was done and he'll go off and do his next bit. I don't know if he would have been aspiring to do anything great. I think he would have just carried on practicing medicine. Amy, do you do you pretty much agree with that? Uh, no, I sort of picture him, and maybe I'm getting it because the last scene of him, he's like, well, I have three wives I have to go sit with. So it sort of feels like he's been away from his family a long time. He's ready to go back. It seemed like, and correct me, if I'm wrong, but I got the idea that he was sort of an exchange student, sort of like yeah. Riker was on the Klingon. You know, they sort of exchange officer roles. So I see him going back to Denobula and you know, taking all the information and research that he's done and then developing it there with his family. So that's where I'm leaning. Yeah. For me, I was thinking he, he would have gone back to Denobula, spent a couple years there since he was he was away for 10 years. I mean, doesn't he have a total of seven wives? No, Wasn't that uh, the three. Final? It's very complicated. Three, you have three partners. And each have three husbands. Oh, so I don't know where I got seven. So, I mean, he's got a lot of time to make up with those three women, so... 
can't get my head around it. So he has three wives. They each have three husbands who each have three wives who each have three yeah. husbands. Everyone on Denobla must be married to, you know, they sort of have six degrees of separation. Yeah. Yeah. Yay, a fun math problem. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to, I don't even want to try and work out the math on that. I don't know if I'd be able to introduce, tell that to my kids to solve this. <laughs> <laughs> now, as far as uh, decommissioning the NXO one, I actually think what they, they stated in the episode isn't what happened with this. I think once Archer got promoted to the desk, he actually did it with a, the refit the, that we've all seen that's got the secondary hole attached to the to the NX design. And I think that he used that as his flagship. He upgraded the engines to the Warp 7 type and then used that for any time he needed to, to go out somewhere or, you know, very important first contact situations. I'm into the whole thing. It become a, becomes a museum. I think that's great. I'd love to visit it. So I can understand that, uh, especially because they, in first contact, they talk about Cochrane's ship, don't they? I think. Yeah, at the Smithsonian. Yep. So it kind of seems to ring true with Trek's history that that would happen with the ship. Nothing about the Enterprise strikes me as being in need of being decommissioned, though, at that point in time. It still looks in great condition. Mm -hmm. The Federation, you would think, would need a flagship to help with its launch. And we know that Archer's had a massive role in it. And you would think think his ship would be more important now than it probably had ever been apart from when it was off fighting a Zindi you know yeah. so I can buy that it eventually becomes a, a museum I just can't believe it happened so soon I could have completely accepted and I still could that a new crew were given the ship and that someone else was using it for some time I could I could buy that quite quite easily and quite happily that there was someone else flying around in the ship it just seems too early to decommission it doesn't it yeah it's like it was done because the show was ending let's say the ship's getting decommissioned but it's like She's got plenty of life in her yet. We don't, yeah. we don't need to decommission her. As you were talking, I was like, well, of course it's going to go in a museum. And yeah, there's, you know, faster warp drives and they need, you know, to be getting to those speeds. And what is it? Warp three? Oh, four, five? They, they, you know. they, they go to five and then the, yeah. the newest one. Right. So, But the NX-01 only yeah, goes to five. Right. Five, yeah. Right. So they've got faster speeds. and But thinking of my TNG brain... There's always the criticism of like when we see big battles in next gen and they're like, what are all these starships and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, because a lot of fans will complain that ship doesn't fit the era, you know, if they mm -hmm. stole a ship from, you know, TOS or whatever. And I was like, no, these ships last a long time. I remember defending this on Earl Grey many times that it's like, these ships are meant to last and they're gonna, you know, yeah, era from even Enterprise B and C, those ships are still, you know, in use. And so when we have these major battles like we did in the next gen, we're going to see these older ships being used. So I agree with you, Kyle. The NX-01 is not going to be decommissioned, not for a long, long while, because they are. They're going to give it to another crew and maybe this will be you know, like the Cerritos, they're going on second contact you know, yeah. type of thing, but they're going to use that ship and the resource until something major happens. Plus, you've got to think we're at the beginning of building an armada. So they're not going to get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. Look how long it took them to build the NX-02. And okay, there'll be a few more ships. We know that by uh, by the year this episode takes place. But it seems unlikely they would just right. scrap a ship that yeah. is working absolutely fine. And yep. even if they're going to do that after pooling all the resources of the founding planets of the Federation, it just doesn't seem like it would happen right. yet. Right. It could take five to ten years just to get shipyards really 
uh, working and in the flow. And have they even got a design pattern yet for Federation ships, or are they still just using Vulcan ships? And you know, it just seems, it seems right. crazy that the end one just gets decommissioned suddenly. Which you know kind of ties back into them adding you know the secondary hull to hold the warp seven engine because a, a refit is a lot quicker process than building a brand new ship i first saw that picture like two or three weeks ago actually yeah i can't remember who designed it was it it was someone who worked on the show wasn't it drexler doug drexler okay yeah it was designed after right so we have no definite knowledge that the show would have ever used that design but it looked pretty cool it has like the for anyone who hasn't seen it it's pretty much got the tos designed secondary hull on the undercarriage yeah it looks it looks kind of cool it would be nice to nice to see that design in action maybe we will one day yeah in that short track yes i want to see yes so now the uh what I consider the most controversial part of this entire episode. It's time to talk about Trip's death. Who wants to go first on this one? Now let's go with Amy. All right. <laughs> Amy maybe can give me a perspective on it that's going to make me feel a bit better before I talk about it. Well, as I was talking with Chris before we started, I did not remember that we lost Trip, that he died. Oh, wow. Not at all. And I have been to conventions and see them and listening to panels, and I just <laughs> didn't remember. And so when I saw him take that power conduit or whatever it was and connect it and then saw the explosion, I'm like, there's no way that he can survive that explosion. So I was really into it. And then... He dies. And I was just like, no. I mean, we get a little preview with sort of how they're talking, you know, to the chef, it sort of feels like. And I thought that he did a very convincing death scene. And, yeah. you know, with his lungs being compressed mm -hmm. and burned and whatever, like it, the acting was really, really good. I don't know why they felt the need to kill him off i mean his character throughout the seasons he's always been yeah let's jump into it and sort of jump first and think later type of thing which is why he needed archer to sort of calm him a little mm -hmm. bit mm -hmm. but i didn't get that he was that devoted to i am gonna save archer that sort of seemed to come out of left field and so it just seemed a little off i get why he did it i mean because he knew archer needed to go and sign the charter and blah 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 that just to me seemed lip service where i felt he might not have done that in the previous season yeah yeah, yeah. This is actually one of the reasons why my girlfriend will not watch These Are the Voyages, because she is a big fan of, of Trip. And that has influenced my, my, my thinking over the years to where it's hard for me to watch it every time. Just because we've been with him, you know, these four year well tech four years, ten years according to the episode. And to me it's it just did didn't make sense. And the line that they had him say before he puts the, the two conduits together, that didn't seem like something he would say ordinarily. I was expecting a snarky, you know, keep your shirt on type of type of comment, not the, the you guys can go straight to hell type of thing. I would say it did feel a little true trip from how he was after the death of his sister. When he makes that line, it reminds me of what he was like in the immediate aftermath of wanting revenge on Zindi and stuff. But yeah, I mean, if season one and two trip would have never really been that that aggressive with his choice of words, I think. There's so much wrong with his death in this episode. And I'm not even sure if there's enough time to, to break <laughs> down all the things that are wrong with it. Yeah, I don't understand why, like Amy said, why they had to kill Trip in this episode. There was no need for it. 
particularly because Trip was such a fan favorite character. Mm-hmm. There was a, a time on this show, particularly in season two, where Trip was getting the majority of the episodes. So he was obviously a popular character with the uh, the writing staff and Bran and Brago when he was still running the, the writer's room. I don't understand why they felt a need to kill him. The more baffling thing is why they killed him in the way they did. I kind of like, and I've always, it's stupid to me to have problems with this because I've always called for characters to die in less than super heroic ways and we should see the realities that something like this could happen and someone yeah. dies and and it's not always glorious and glamorous but for some reason with it being trip i take real issue with it and if trip wanted to die i can believe that trip valued his life so little at this time that he would happily do that suicide thing i just yeah. think that when you can think about season three think about elizabeth and it doesn't seem like him and Tapar have had a very happy existence since. I can believe he would he would sacrifice himself and maybe it would end his suffering. And I mean, that's a whole other conversation, I guess. More than likely, if the aliens who were attacking knew that Archer was the captain, they were likely to keep Archer alive anyway. They're more likely to kill Trip to try and get Archer to, to do what they want. So, so I guess unless Trip's just main thing was trying to take out those aliens and not wait for security, then Trip could have just let himself get killed anyway and it would have bought Archer time until security showed up. I don't know. I wonder, have we ever seen such a violent death? And I mean in the sense of what we saw in Sickbay with Trip for a Trek regular Hmm. For a Trek regular. I'm not talking about, yeah, any like guest stars. I'm talking about a regular cast member. Have we seen them die a permanent death so painfully and graphically? Like, you know, as Amy said, his acting in that scene could barely speak. He had the scar all over his body and, and that's it. And he dies. Unless I'm missing an obvious one, I cannot think of a Star Trek character who's suffered that fate. Mm-mm. I think that angers me more as well because he was such a beloved character. If I felt a bit more respected as an Enterprise fan with this episode as a whole... I might not take issue like that with how Trip died and such. But yeah, some of it just seems it seems so unnecessary. And I do believe Trip would do whatever he could for Archer. He would mm-hmm. he would die for Archer. But so that does feel true of his character. But there's so many plot holes with just how it happens. Like, you know, Shran says these guys don't even have warp two. Yeah. And Archer specifies they're going at warp four. But then even Trip mentions this. He goes, Oh, I, I thought thought they didn't have a chance to get you at this speed. And Archer was like, Oh, clearly Shran was wrong. It was like just a one random line to try and explain away. Yeah. And then they get on board while they're traveling at warp. Like Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I'm guessing they must have must have beamed aboard, I'm assuming. Yeah. Which we know happened because Enterprise didn't have shields, so they used to quite often get boarded in that manner but how long did it take when did security get there yeah because to paul says intruder intruder alert somehow archer and trip have a chance to get to where uh, where they are but no security no no makos no nothing i mean this, this is ridiculous and like the amount of time archer and trip are talking to these aliens and then trip takes them into that little uh, room and he blows him up where the heck was security the only way i can possibly try and explain it to myself is that because enterprise was being decommissioned maybe she was operating on a skeleton crew maybe a lot of crew had already left the ship and so um Mm. maybe there had been a previous visit to earth recently and a lot of people had left but it still doesn't ring true to me so I, i can't really understand like, if I was Archer after that, surely Reed is getting a bollocking, yeah. uh, a dressing down, saying, like, where, where was security? How could you not get there in time? And you are right, Chris. It's this death that makes the episode harder to swallow. I think the whole episode, I could, I could take it and accept it as what it is. But it's the trip death that leaves the bad taste. I have a question for you because I don't have the pulse on the Enterprise fan base as much as I do TNG. But a lot of TNG fans 
will say that Tasha Yar's death was absolutely a waste, had no meaning, and then Data's death at the end of Nemesis was a wasted death and had no meaning. I take umbrage with Data's because I completely disagree, and that's a whole nother podcast on why I love Nemesis. But, you know, with Tasha dying to, you know, Armis, Skin of Evil, whatever, do the fans feel that Tripp's death was unnecessary, unneeded, like it was a wasted death? I think because we never got any real follow-up to it. It's seen as a wasted death. Uh, we got the Topolin Archer scene, but even Archer's oddly cold about the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, which is out of character. So you've got to assume it's at least a few days later. That's the only way you can explain it, is that it's been a couple of days to explain why Archer isn't quite so distraught. And Reed is normal Reed when he's with Hoshi and, and Travis. Like, because none of it fits, does it? And, and it is a wasted death as a result. The fandom at the time, I remember, were, were furious because. Women loved Trip. Trip was like the sex symbol of the show, really. And I think a lot of people were angry. And you still see people angry about it now. I think it was just unnecessary. unnecessary. And like the question you asked, Amy, and I said as well, like, why? Why did we do it? Connor seems happy with it. I saw an interview with him recently where he is still happy that he got his closure on the character. It's just annoying as a fan to, to go through all that and then see them die and nothing after to really follow up. I mean, at least Tasha got a funeral. Mm -hmm. Right. And a, a trip didn't even get a funeral. This is four seasons and he was one of the main three yeah. characters. And, and yeah, he didn't even get a funeral. Didn't get anything. Even I'm saying it, I can't wrap my head around the fact that we never got to see Reed react to it. And that was his, that was his best friend. Exactly. In my head, when I was watching it, I was trying to think of it like as analyzing it in a way I've never really have before. And I guess I was trying to think to myself, well, it's a holodeck program. Maybe the reason the characters are a bit cold to it and don't seem in character is because the uh, the holodeck program couldn't allow for that. It wasn't part of the story that the program is telling. But then why do the death? Why, why make it happen to us and mean nothing? If it doesn't mean anything to the characters, then why should it mean anything to us? You know? Yeah. yeah. We're on to the, uh, to the very final scene with all the uh, enterprises and the voiceover. For me, if they, if they would have, you know, done just an, an actual enterprise episode and then had a little bit at the end with Troy and Riker and then done the voiceover, that would have been been perfect for me. That scene right there is the best final scene for me because it takes you through, you know, what a lot of people grew up with at at that time who were, you know, teenagers and and you know, young adults had something for 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 their parents and then you know finally with the nx01 kind of going working backwards in time and whenever i see see the original 1701 whether it's in this scene or like the season one finale of of discovery i always get get teared up because that's kind of what what my dad and i would watch and i always have to say hello old friend to the 1701 so for me, that final scene is just is just about the most perfect scene in all of Star Trek. Wow, that's strong words there. Very strong <laughs> words. And firstly, let me just say that I can completely understand your viewpoint on that. I can. I can absolutely get that. And particularly because you said the emotional mm -hmm. uh, resonance it has with you because uh, you stood, well, TOS was your first Trek. And for me, I was thinking more deep about it on this final rewatch of it. And when I first started writing my notes about it, I started to write that it was like the final salt being poured in my wound. Okay. But as I was writing the notes, I was like, no, it is a nice scene. But my first thing, I just looked at it and I thought, you know what, this actually makes it worse for me because I didn't need, I didn't want Enterprise's last episode to be about the D or about Kirk's Enterprise. I wanted it to be about the NX-01 and I don't need to see the NX-01 in the same montage as these ships to believe that 
that it happened and, and such, you know. And But visually, it was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Problem with the whole episode, I understand exactly what Rick Berman and Brandon Braga were trying to do. They were trying to wrap up their, uh, I guess it was what, 18 years or so of Star Trek. I understand that. They could have maybe done just this montage and not done the rest of the stuff with Riker and Troy. But again, the final scene of, of Enterprise wasn't about the NX-01 Enterprise. You know, it just wasn't about them. In the same way that Riker and Troy stole the last scene of live action. So that scene wasn't about Enterprise. The last montage wasn't about Enterprise. And I think maybe it could have worked more if... My gut feeling is that Archer should have had the whole monologue. They shouldn't have used Picard and Kirk. It should have just been Archer doing it over all the other enterprises. Because I think maybe that would have hit home the message more of what they were trying to do. Because it would have it would have made Archer seem like the real first captain and the, the father of what would come with the enterprise. But yeah, I get I get the motives behind it. But and as I said, my feeling on it changed as I was writing that note about to criticize it, because I know it is a nice scene, but with everything that's come before it, oh, it just feels more painful. I'm like, oh, did you have to do that as well? Because visually I have to love it. It looks gorgeous, <laughs> but it just, it hurts me in the heart. Yeah. So Kyle, I totally feel where you're coming from. It definitely is gorgeous. And of course my TNG heart was happy. And similarly to what you were saying, it's like, why do we have to have the Enterprise D? This is its own show. And I had those feelings when I saw Kirk's Enterprise because TNG is always in the shadow of the original series and that's the original (laughs) and blah 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 and I've lived with it being a TNG fan and so then I see Kirk's Enterprise and you know William Shatner's voice and I'm like why do we even need Kirk's Enterprise here. This episode was obviously about the NX-01 and Enterprise D. Why are you throwing in Kirk and his Enterprise? To me, that just didn't fit. And so that sort of ruined it for me. Although I understand and always will respect the original series, that that is what started this entire fandom. I get it. And so I get why they included it, but I still have that feeling it's like, why is that even there? This is about, well, in my opinion, Enterprise D, you know, which is about NX-01, you know. I feel disrespected in that final bit as an Enterprise fan and then right. Amy disrespected as a, as a next-gen fan. Exactly. And here I am, an original series fan, and I just love it all. There was one fan base uh, happy with that final <laughs> yeah. sequence. And, and Amy's hit the nail on the head as well, because the episode was about this whole, this Valentine or love letter, whatever they called mm-hmm. it at the time, to the Berman era of Trek, starting with, I guess, Gene Roddenberry's first two seasons on Next Gen, but, you know, that 18-year stretch. So, yeah, why was why was suddenly Kirk's Enterprise in it, given that we'd already seen the Constitution class, what, three episodes before yeah. or something, in the Mirror Universe one? So it, seeing the ship again wasn't like, a, oh, wow, because I'd already seen a CGI mock-up of it a few episodes before. I think the general consensus is that people love that final montage, but I, I don't know. I, my partner liked it, and she has barely ever watched TOS. She refuses to watch it, really, because <laughs> just too old for her. And TNG, she's seen a bit. She knows the characters now because of Picard and stuff, and she's seen me watch it. Uh, but when they had it with Archer, her first words were, says, oh, I'm glad they did that. But then by the end of the credits, her whole opinion had changed. So I guess the, everyone's gut instinct at first is like, oh, yeah. But after you're like, oh, actually, that, that just seems like pandering. I'm a bit, I'm a bit angry you, you've pandered to me like that. So Now that we've pretty much wrapped up the entire episode, what do you think about the uh, historical accuracy of this holodeck program? The books are interesting, aren't they? I've yes. read all of them. 
I don't know if you've ever read any of them, Amy. We'll touch on some spoilers, I guess, in this. The books make it clear that the holodeck program was not historically accurate and that the events that we see actually took place almost immediately after the Terra Prime events of the previous episode and that Trip faked his death because he needed to go undercover with, he was going to go undercover with Section 31. So I cannot remember who the people are. It was Archer, Flocks. I think it was just Archer and Flocks who knew that Trip was faking the death, which was the explanation as to why they were both in sick and none of the other characters were there and the look exchanged between Phlox and Archer in the actual episode of Trip's death where you think it's Phlox like yeah I'm not going to be able to save him uh, they kind of wreck on that to say that's them saying alright well this is Trip's now going to have to go off and do his, his mission so I kind of like to lean with that idea that I'm happy to take that as my canon as well. Same with all the, I guess the TNG relauncher books now is worthless because they've uh, done Picard, but, uh, and I guess DS9 and Voyager. So maybe the only actual relauncher books that are still applicable is Enterprise, but I can take that as my canon. I'm not one of these ones who's always about headcanon and canceling stuff out, but I think the fact that this is a holodeck program and we never see the characters in this episode in anything other than their hologram forms, I can believe that what we see isn't a true representation of what happened. So I guess it is hard to believe that they would get it wrong that Trip died, <laughs> apart from if you go with the idea that he faked it, because um, he was such a key person in, in the founding, I guess, of the Federation that you would assume that they would know his fate. But the lack of human reaction from Archer and that to Trip's death really just doesn't feel right. So I can put that down to the holodeck. And that's why I can kind of understand. Well, it can't have happened anyway, really, all of it, could it? Because Riker is having a conversation with him in the galley and they're reacting to Riker saying the word Picard and stuff like that. So we know that that scene wouldn't have happened if Mayweather ever did have that uh, that chat with Chef. We know it didn't go the way this episode shows us because Chef never really mentioned Captain Picard and Travis is like, who? So we know that it's a it's not a completely accurate version of what was said and done. So I guess for me, I have to doubt it. And I, I don't know, I just can't, I don't understand how Shran would have ever got himself involved with dodgy people. He was very, he was just very focused on his military role with, with the Andorian yeah. side of things. So I like, I like to think that it's wrong. I wish I could not watch it <laughs> and, and end it on the previous episode because I'm thinking, ah, it's not true representation. Uh, but there's just, there are some nice bits in this episode that I want to watch every time. Um, which annoyingly surrounds Tripp's death mostly, <laughs> which I wouldn't have done. But I think for me, I like to agree that I like to think uh, the holodeck is not completely, it's not an accurate program. Well, listening to what you say with the books, uh, it just came to me that we don't know that Tripp died. We didn't see it. The last thing we see him going as a live person going into that CAT scan machine type of thing. With the wink. Exactly. And his yeah. head was up. And, and so it's like, yeah, he's going to get healed and everything. So, uh, and he was taking a page from Shran's book of faking his death. So I'm, I'm going with that now. So yeah. There's little things actually that I wish were wrong that wouldn't be wrong. So like, I didn't like the uniforms. Yeah, with the name tag. Yeah, the name tags looked a little cheap. So I don't know why they were on there, really. I guess that they wouldn't have that wrong in the program because they would know what the uniforms looked like yeah. in 2161. But I wish they weren't real because it just didn't make any sense to me. And I'm really surprised Archer, when he's, you know, ready to give his speech. and Oh, that uniform's yeah. lovely. I love yeah, that one. That yeah, that one. I'm surprised I have not seen cosplay of that at STLV. I am really, really surprised. I'm maybe I, cause I didn't notice it, but I'm pretty sure like I've seen Enterprise, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
but not that specific. Like a lot of fans love getting the specific and deep cuts. So I'm going to be keeping my eye out. And listeners, you guys need to get on the ball with cosplaying Archer at that final assembly. We can all agree that maybe Troy's holodeck program wasn't 100% accurate. Yeah. And so we can throw the episode in the bin. And I joke, <laughs> it's not that bad. It's not, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. I'm a host of an enterprise podcast. So I have to be a bit more positive about every single episode of the show. And speaking of positive, we can go on to our uh, favorite moments. Amy, what, what were some of your favorite moments that we haven't covered already? Well, two of my little favorite moments, just little moments, as you said, um, are the callbacks to the next gen. And when Malcolm and Tripp are in the engine room and they're talking about where they're going and what they're doing and sort of the end. And Malcolm says, you know, as they say, all good things. And I was like, oh, all good things. And then the second mention, again, love letter to TNG, when Archer and Tripp are sharing their scotch and then Archer says, well, here's to the next generation. And I was like, oh. Why are there so many nods in this episode for TNG fans like Amy to be like, oh my God, yeah, next year. Yeah. They had movies and everything. They just had a film three years before or two years before. And yet I'm here as an ent- Enterprise fan waiting for something. Right, <laughs> yeah. Give me, anything. Give me anything that makes me feel like, oh yeah, four years of Enterprise. Honestly, for me, I was waiting for, for someone to drop a, uh, well, it's what we leave behind because this is our end game. There's no way Rick Berman would have scripted any lines that acknowledge DS9. I don't think, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm so jealous of like uh, DS9's final episode um, compared to to this one. Some favorite moments for me, I guess mine were more scenes rather than moments because my favorite moments are in my favorite scenes. But the, the line I said, you look very heroic from T'Pol to Archer, I think is such a, an amazing deep line when you think about where they started off. The first time they have any interaction in Enterprise is when Archer's telling her he's close to knocking on her ass. That's the first time they speak. And then this last time, the last line that T'Pol has, I didn't note Archer's last line, which came just before that, but is about him looking heroic. I think it just shows so much progression for them. And I always loved their their relationship as well. And just everything would trip. Everything would trip. I think that was that was generally it. I wish there was an Archer moment. Why didn't Archer get a scene in the galley with Riker? I don't yeah. know. I don't know. <laughs> Scott Bakula probably actually got less than Hoshi yeah. in his episode. <laughs> I mean, because they, they, they cut him off before he even started his speech. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think there was some Enterprise callbacks. One that I remember, and I was going to ask you because I don't remember. Was Rigel 10? Yes. Their first? The first one. Is that with Broken Bow? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, and that's a callback. And yeah. I thought, oh, that's cute. I mean, it's. You know, it's an enterprise. I'll give callback. you that one, actually. Yeah. So there is, there were callbacks. And then, Chris, for you with your TOS love, like they, when Troy's on the holodeck and the little view screen comes out, yeah. oh, Spock used that, I you know? So there were some line. TOS callbacks. Yeah. I hate that one. Why, why did Kirk's Enterprise specifically have <laughs> one of those? Viewfinders, like. Well, because we didn't really see, we didn't really, really see the bridge in use of any of the other Constitution classes. It's implying that no other ship has had one of these things, except for that's one of those lines that you just think, like, all right, you didn't need to do a, a, th- a throwback to everything, guys. You could, yeah. <laughs> you could have left a th- few things alone, but well, they did. They left Voyager and Deep Space Nine alone. The only sort of nice mention to Voyager is the fact that none of them got promoted. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. There were, there were some really nice moments in this episode, weren't there? I get, we have to say that there were, and, the, and most of them were with T'Pol, as we've said loads of times on, on, on this show. But it's, it, to be honest, it's actually, it's, 
it does have lovely moments. As I'm saying, yeah. it's, got, oh, it's just so annoying that um, it's just so annoying that some other that the big moments weren't right for Enterprise is what's frustrating because there are other, there are parts in that episode that I would kill to have in any other show's final episode, you know. But there's other bits I would never condemn any other show to have. One of my favorite moments would have been, you know, both uh, Flox and Topol kind of, you know, giving Archer the confidence boost before he walks out. Their last little send off to him. We're left to assume that the the other main crew members did that off screen. I, I really enjoyed how how Flox and and Topol were, you know, there by him just like they were there at the beginning as well. On to the uh, lasting legacy of this final episode which was the the final episode of Star Trek until the Vulcan Hello. Well, as I said at the top of this episode, I do feel now that it did shortchange Enterprise and the actors and, you know, the fans for this amazing show. It is really, after my rewatch, it's bumped up even now above Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Like, I... (laughs) Yeah, I really think they, you know, were doing some good things and the characters, I would have liked to have seen more development of Starfleet and what have you. But that aside, the stories were good. The actors were great. But, you know, my TNG heart still loves it. (laughs) I I totally get it. And I listen to the actors, you know, like I said, at conventions and sort of how they felt about it. And I completely, completely understand. And I would have been so pissed if I didn't get all good things and I got something from TOS. Like, that would have burned me up. So I totally, totally get it. But I was happy then when it came out. And it's just one of those things. And and even thinking about like TOS, they didn't really have a series finale. Like their last episode, like, psh, what is that, you know? And then even going back before these are the voyages, you have the mirror universe. So it's like, it's not even them in our yeah. time, prime yeah. time. That gets me a little bit with those because yeah. the show was cancelled. I think during production of, of those yeah, episodes, yeah, during during production of uh, Intermirror Darkly, yeah, we lost two episodes. Right, the last stretch of like five episodes of the show, um, just... unintentionally, I think, just yeah. feels like uh, it's it's quite disrespectful to right. So the show doesn't the show doesn't end right. Really focused on itself, does it? It's um, yeah. it's got other stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. so that's. The legacy of these are the voyages. It's just, it's a shame because TNG is my favorite. And I remember the excitement, you know, seeing it first run and you just, you can't take that away. So I love it and I begrudge it all at the same time. So this aired 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's an episode of Star Trek that after that amount of time is still the source of so much controversy within the fan base. Enterprise was a source of controversy, but has now been widely accepted the show that they all said was breaking canon is now part of the canon that discovery and picard get accused of breaking <laughs> as, as the circle of life with with fandoms this episode it still still makes fans angry i mean threshold i think a lot of people thought was the worst episode of star trek previously from from voyager but people even now just laugh about about that episode and um, and what happens with paris and janeway but this one is still so sensitive because mm-hmm. of what happened the killing a trip I guess what people perceive as disrespect from the production to Enterprise 
because it's so clear on screen. And I think that that's also a sensitive subject for everyone. So you've got issues with how some characters get dealt with, and then also with what people perceive as the off-camera side of it, particularly now what we know that some of the Enterprise actors weren't happy with it uh, at all. I know that Scott Bakula really wasn't happy with it, but didn't say anything at the time. So I just watched the scene and I'm just, and I, that's all I can think of. And I think that adds that ill feeling for it. I think its legacy is, it's always going to be compared now with the finales of every show that comes up because it's going to be, it's going to be as bad as, as Enterprise's finale. And I hope, I hope not for any of them because finales are emotional journeys on their own anyway, because it's going to be the last time you're going to see new content with them. And, and to then leave it with such a bad feeling. It's one thing to not like how your show ends for like plot decisions. You don't like what happened to a certain character, but it's another thing to come out with the final episode feeling like everything that you loved about it was just being like disrespected throughout. I've just watched the last episode of Arrow uh, and that was a love letter. That was a real love letter to the show, whereas These Are The Voyages wasn't. Part of the legacy as well for me, it always feels detached from the rest of Enterprise when I'm watching it. It's as if Brandon Braga legitimately, I know he was involved in Enterprise for that for last season, but it's the first episode he wrote that season with Rick Berman. It feels like they didn't watch season four. Yeah. They don't reference anything, I don't think, in season four. They talk about the Zindi and, and things before. And yeah, none of it seems to ring true. Shran going into hiding doesn't seem to work. The relationship with Trip and Paul is odd between the previous episode and this. I don't know. I think I think the legacy is that I think they've learned a lesson. You don't need to do a love letter to all the Trek shows. We we have those shows on demand. Okay, we didn't then, but you know, we all have the DVDs and things like that. I just oh it hurts. It hurts. Like Amy said, like you love it, but you also begrudge it. I, I mostly begrudge it, but I love the little moments of it. So it's it's a hard one. Like I said, I wish I could ignore it on a rewatch and not watch it. I always whenever I get into season four, I always tell myself, this time you're gonna stop after demons. You're not gonna watch these are the voyages. But the completest in me has to watch <laughs> it. And then I end up feeling so deflated <laughs> about my my whole journey on the show. And it happens every single time. And it's the only show I can watch from start to finish, like and decide I'm gonna binge it, I'm gonna watch three or four episodes a night. It's the only track show I can do that with. Mm. To end that so unhappily every time is <laughs> it's really sad for me. But how about you, Chris? What do you, what do you think the lasting legacy on the fan base and itself is? There are moments and scenes that you absolutely love in this episode, and there are moments and scenes that you absolutely hate in this episode. And it comes out being a mediocre finale to an amazing series because they were trying to do too much with the previous content of, of the other series that came before it because they knew that UPN did not want to do any more Star Trek after they were done with Enterprise. They knew they were going to have to do or have to say something, kind of do their best to say, hey, thank you for all your support. We may be back again sometime. Not sure when. Until then, this is what we're going to give you and we hope you like it. And it was nothing that we didn't really like entirely. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. They were trying to wrap it up because that was that was their era. But that scene uh, which Amy spoke about where uh, Reed and Trip talk about all good things mm-hmm. coming to an end, that scene itself has different layers to me. Like they're clearly referencing other shows with other Enterprise, but it also feels like they're saying there's going to be more Trek, but it's not going to be our Trek and that's okay. It's going to be someone else. That's how I take that yeah. scene. That's why I always find it weird that this feels like a Valentine to all the Trek and that it's coming to an end because it felt to me that they knew Trek was going to continue uh, in some way. And it did so happen. The next thing would be on a, a new enterprise of the Kelvin universe. TNG had four films and seven seasons. The original series had six movies, plus Kirk was in a seventh. I don't really understand why we were doing a send-off for TNG. I just don't get it. Can I ask a question, actually, Amy, for you, before we round up? Why Pegasus? 
why did it tie into Pegasus? For me, I've always remembered that episode, but that's not a key TNG episode. Why did they put it in Pegasus? That I will never understand. I mean, the episode itself is fabulous. I guess they wanted to choose something from season seven. I guess since that was the most recent, you know, so the fans wouldn't have too much to remember. I mean, it was well received, but I mean, yeah, that was 1994. And I'm looking at the list of episodes. I mean, they're not going to do Sub Rosa. I mean, let's just get real. They could have done Lower Decks. That would have been a fine, you know, episode. I don't know why they chose Pegasus and like why they stuck it in the middle. Like I could have maybe had it like after an episode and then like before the next, like sort of, but they Mm. put it in the smack dab middle of Pegasus. So I do not know. Well, we only mentioned Lower Decks. That would have made a bit more sense as well. because Yeah. Because obviously I can't remember the name of the crewman who dies in that. Cedo Jax. Yeah. So she sacrifices herself knowing what's going to happen. That would have yeah. connected much more mm-hmm. with, yeah. with what Trip did. So you could have framed a story around that more. It would have made sense. Someone grieving, Riker trying to make sense of their guilt. And I don't know, it would have made, yeah. yeah, that would have made much more sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, because like you said, it's like, I had to really think about why is he going to this holodeck program to figure out, like, I really had to think about it. And even then I've missed it for how many years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and as you said, uh, Troy recommended this program that, She'd never even tried, right. apparently. But yet knows everything about. It's as if this is like a go-to program for counsellors. It's, like it, <laughs> yeah. it's in a textbook. Oh, if someone's having this problem, play them yes. this program. Counseling But no one really knows how it's helping. <laughs> yeah, it really raises questions about Deanna's capabilities as a ship's counsellor. Hey, now, don't go there, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I like. I like Troy. I. I, I thought. I thought Marina Sirtis was fantastic in Picard mm-hmm. in the episode she was in. Uh, I. I think Troy's great. But this episode does sour me on Next Gen sometimes. Mm. I'll be honest. There's. There's times where I. Uh, I'll watch TNG and I'll always have a reminder oh, that they yeah. showed up in uh, Enterprise's finale, and I'm like, get out. Yeah. I don't want you there. <laughs> For anyone listening to this, I know I've been the critical voice on this. Um, I found haven't found much to praise, and that's not normally me. I'm normally the guy like I praise all all Trek. I'm, I'm the one online calling out these people who just hate on all the new stuff. And I can't defend these other voyages. <laughs> I would, no part of me can actually say, no, I, no, it's good. They did this. They did that. I'm like, no, they did this. They did that. <laughs> they did everything else that could have crushed my soul. So, yeah, that's all I'm going to say now on these are the voyages. I'm done. As a f- series finale, I think it it is lacking. But as an era finale that that's where you can kind of get away with a few things in 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 my mind the context is missing on that now though yeah you watch it now people watching trek don't know that was the last one of that era of star trek no one knows that my um my partner wouldn't know it i just don't think it it works so amy can you go ahead and give us a little uh insight into galaxy class Yes, so Galaxy Class is dedicated to the next generation. We are very excited. Uh, My other co-hosts, we have quite a few, so sit back and listen. We have Joe Keegan, Rhea Papagiorgio, Pierre LaRocco, and Kevin Scarf. And so although there are five of us, we're going to be rotating through, and so you'll hear usually two to three every week as we rotate through, and I'm sure you can hear the love that I have for TNG, and all of us do, and so we get to have fun 
just exploring and deep diving and experiencing and watching episodes and movies all over again. So we hope that you will uh, tune in to Galaxy Class. Where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter, and my handle is at Miss Amy Nelson. On 9th of September 2020, our weekly discussion will focus on the Enterprise novel by the book. This was the first original Enterprise novel following the adaptation of the Enterprise premiere episode, Broken Bow. If you'd like to be fully knowledgeable of what we discuss in our 9th of September show, then please dig out your copy of Buy the Book or visit an online retailer to purchase a copy. We look forward to our first ever book club discussion. The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, is produced and hosted by myself, Chris Hill, and Kyle West, and is a part of the Suite Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date with all the news and updates from The Expanse, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at NX01Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at the Chris Hill and Kyle on Twitter at Kyle Thomas West. To join the Suite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type the Nexus into the Facebook search bar, and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep your shirts on. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Blast Shield, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. And she starts swinging it in a ridiculously reckless way. But it's so over the top that I was laughing out loud and it's putting a smile on my face. I know you were laughing I really when you first related saw it. to that moment. <laughs> you know I get over the top. It was, uh, I just think it gives a good idea at her. And the way they cut around it, it's so close in her face. You're like, oh my God, she's crazy. And then we get the moment where she just slices it into his leg. And it's very graphic. Oh, it's re- detail. You see the muscle, like the different muscles torn. You can like see the ligaments. The, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah, I think you see bone as well. Loading Suite preview program for The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. The orangey skin makes me think of something else. Makes you think nowadays. of Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, it, and bad hair. Oh my God. He's Kazon. Donald Trump is Kazon. Trump is Kazon. Oh my God. I'm surprised he's not calling himself Marge Trump. <laughs> because he's not very bright either. No. It fits perfectly. I understand it all now. We've, we've just been taken over by the Kazon. And we didn't even realize it. No. Oh my God. <laughs> Listeners, we've just solved the mystery of the last four years in the United States. Loading Suite preview program for There Are Four Questions, a Star Trek Spotlight podcast. I always thought I was special that I knew that the theme came from the end of, of the original motion picture. Like, I thought nobody knew that but me. <laughs> and of course, that was dumb to think. But that was, and that was the thing that, that always really sort of stuck with me. So in getting to in getting to work on Discovery, it was, you know, really, really an amazing experience for me and an amazing thought to be able to start working in this world of this kind of narrative. But when when I talked to Alex about doing um, Picard, it was on a whole nother level of of connection for me. Computer deactivate Holosuite.